First Book of Kings in, in my Bible, that's page 472. First Book of Kings in chapter 19, verse 9, just on the edge of the page there. And there he went into a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of Jehovah came to him. And he said to him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for Jehovah, the God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I am left, I alone, and I seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before Jehovah. And behold, Jehovah passed by in the great and strong wind and rent the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before Jehovah. Jehovah was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake. Jehovah was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire. Jehovah was not in the fire. And after the fire a soft, gentle voice. And it came to pass when Elijah heard it, that he rubbed his face in his mantle and he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for Jehovah, the God of hosts. The children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I am left, I alone, and I seek my life. Take it away. And Jehovah said to him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, and I has the old king of Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, <coughs> and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Melchor, shalt thou anoint prophet in thy stead. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left myself seven thousand in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth that have not kissed him. And then Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 24, and I'll know that's my page 1263, and verse 13, and behold, two of them were going on the same day to a village distant, sixty stadia from Jerusalem, called Emmaus. And they conversed with one another about all these things which had taken place. And it came to pass, as they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself, drawing nigh, went with them, that their eyes were holden so as not to know him. And he said to them, What discourses are these which pass between you as you walk and are downcast? And one of them named Cleopas, answering, said to him, Thou sojournest alone in Jerusalem, and dost not know what has taken place in it in these days. And he said to him, What things? And they said to him, The things concerning Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and worked before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to the judgment of death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. But then beside all these things, it is now today, the third day since these things took place. And with all certain women from amongst us, astonished us, having been very early at the sepulchre, and not having found his body, came, saying they had also, also seen a vision of angels, who said that he is living. And some of those with us went to the sepulchre and found it so, as the woman also had said, but him they saw not. And he said to them, most senseless and slow of heart to believe, and all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory, having begun from Moses and from all the prophets? 
he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew near to the village where they were going, and he made as though he would go farther. And they constrained him, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is declining. And he entered in to stay with them, and it came to pass, as he was at table with them, having taken the bread, he blessed, and having broken it, gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognised him, and he disappeared from them. And they said to one another, Was not our heart burning in us, as he spoke to us on the way? And he opened the scriptures to us, and rising up the same hour, they returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is indeed risen, as it appeared to Simon. And they related what had happened on the way, and how it was made known to them, the breaking of bread. Just a verse in the Epistle to the Philippians, in my Bible, that's page 1421. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say rejoice, let your gentleness be known of all men. The Lord is near. Be careful about nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses every understanding. Shall guard your hearts and your thoughts by Christ Jesus. For the rest, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are amiable, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if any praise, think on these things. And finally, just a few verses in the Epistle to the Colossians. That's page 1425. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Bowels of compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any should have a complaint against any, even as the Christ has forgiven you, so also do ye. And to all these add love, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the priest of Christ preside in your hearts, to which also you have been called in one body, and be thankful. Over the last few weeks, <coughs> a verse that's just been staying in my mind, and it's <coughs> from Romans about the God of endurance and encouragement. The God of encouragement. I seek with the Lord's help to talk about how God might encourage us. The first scripture I read spoke about a man that was <coughs> he was on his own and he thought everything was lost and then I read about two people that were despondent and the Lord drew alongside them third scripture I read perhaps the Lord asked us to do something in Colossians, it might ask us and our companies where we're together to do something, to be an encouragement and blessing to those around us. I don't know whether you feel despondent or you're <coughs> you're feeling anxious at the state of the world, or you feel disheartened. I know some people that are. Just in the past week, I had one Christian contact me 
at the end of his tether because his daughter tried to take her life when she was in hospital. And I wrote back to him and he, he said to me, he said, I trust God, but the valley looks very dark right now. And then a few days later, another Christian wrote to me, or he actually called me up, and he's distressed at the state of the church and the Christian testimony. The question is, what, what, what's the answer to <clears throat> despair, doubt, fear? I read about Elijah. Now, I'll be some in this room and saying, well, you know, Elijah, what do I know about Elijah? He lived nearly 3,000 years ago. He's an Old Testament prophet. You know, he's, he's a great man of God. The Lord Jesus spoke about him. Apostle Paul wrote about him. James wrote about him in his epistle. You know, we either put him up on a pedestal or we put him so far in the past. What's his relevance? James tells us he was of like passions to us. He was like us. He had his fears. God used him. But he had his fears and his anxieties. The first thing that we find in the scripture is that God <coughs> raised him up to speak about the state of Israel, about the idolatry. It distressed him. You might be distressed about the state of Britain. You might be distressed about idolatry. There's nothing new in it. The Apostle Paul in Athens, he, was, he found his spirit painfully excited in him when he saw the idolatry and the folly of it all. And it, it tells us he comes on the pages of Scripture in Kings and, and he's got something to say to the, the king about it. The evil king, he had something to say to him. I mean, like, he just comes out of nowhere. We don't know how old he is, we don't know his background. In the epistle of James, he tells us something about him. He tells us he was a man who prayed with prayer. If you're distressed about the state of the country or the things around you or the public church or whatever, first of all, I encourage you tonight, pray with prayer. You know, <clears throat> that's not perhaps what everyone else hears. I don't suppose anyone else heard Elijah's prayer, but God, but God heard his prayers. And God noted his prayers. We can find that in the New Testament as well. There's a man, <coughs> Cornelius, who prayed and, and God took a note of his prayers. The life of a Christian, an old brother said in the meeting I came from, he said, you know, it's like an iceberg. There's a bit you see and there's a whole lot that goes on that you can't see. Prayer life. Praying to God. Pleading with him. We can all pray. Rather than despairing, about the country in which we live and the things around us, we can pray. We can pray with feeling, with urgency. And then God might ask us to do something about it. Paul, his spirit was painfully excited. He preached the gospel, and some people were blessed because he preached the gospel. And he preached the gospel about the risen Saviour. He preached about the resurrection. You might think, well, I can't pray for the country or the world at large. Start by praying for those around you. The neighbours, the people on your street, the colleague at work. The person that you've never spoken to before. I encourage you to do that. We need to be lights in this world. The Lord's asked us to be like that. It's not for other people, evangelists, other people, and <clears throat> someone else can do it. The Lord's asked us to do it. 
And Elijah, you know, he, 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 was, he was asked to do something. He prayed with prayer. And God heard his prayer. And, and God honoured his prayer. He didn't ask for the rain to stop, to punish the people. He asked it that there might be a result. He wanted a result. He wanted, he wanted the people of Israel to turn to their God and turn away from the idolatry. And <clears throat> that took him a curious way, didn't he? He raised him up, he, he spoke, <clears throat> and then God took him in, into, out of sight, as it were, by the uh, Torah of Cherith. And he was fed by ravens. God sometimes uses what might seem as very strange things to enact his work. You know, we know what we know, don't we? But if we want God to act, we've got to have faith in how he does it. 18 months ago, there was, a, there was a brother in hospital. And because of COVID, no one could visit him. He was very ill. And his wife said to me, he's asked if you'll pray with him. How can I pray with him? I'm, I'm quite a conservative person. I'm quite cautious. I don't like doing things that are novel to me. And I prayed with this brother that was in hospital. She said, well, she was a fan. Talk to him. I couldn't see him. But I prayed with him. More than once. He's now with the Lord, but I will never forget what he said to me. You know, the... the, the God might ask you to do something to have the ordinary. He might ask you to, you've prayed, and you've asked for help, and he might ask you to do something. I'm sure many in here do something. I'm a feeble Christian. Some of you have been very bright and on the road many years, and perhaps the Lord's used you in many ways. But I encourage you, pray. Pray, God is listening tonight. God is listening in Britain. No need to despair. It's the same God that we speak to today. Revealed in the Lord Jesus. We speak to him. He knows about the situation. He then used, <clears throat> he then used uh, Elijah in a remarkable way. He took him a remarkable way. And you might think, well, one, one amazing thing was enough. But no, he had something to teach him. And he took him. <clears throat> and Elijah had to rely on him. You think of relying on ravens to feed you. Extraordinary thing. But God had commanded the ravens. It wasn't by chance they arrived with his food. God had commanded them because God is over the creation. Wonderful thing to think tonight. God is over the creation tonight. He knows the end from the beginning. And <clears throat> so he had, to, he had to learn dependence on God. And then we find that he was, people began to be in want and he was put with his widow, Zarephath. And she was starving, and she was despairing. She had very little left. She was expecting to die. But you find there that God came in there and sustained him, and sustained them. And I didn't want to go through all of that, but it's remarkable ways in which God acted in the life of Elijah. I'm just encourage us, you know. That God can sustain you and knows what you need to sustain your faith in a difficult time. A year ago, my wife, I hope she doesn't mind me speaking about it briefly, 
Alzheimer's is diagnosed as a very serious illness. And some of you all know what that feels like. And you know that the fear that comes with it, the anxiety. And then you find that different believers and they're praying for you. And then you hear them praying for you. And then one day I went to work and a man that I've never spoken to in my life before came up to me and said, Simon, I'm praying for your wife. You see, God knows what we need. He knows what we need to sustain our faith. He can act in the most remarkable way. But when I started reading, Elijah, despite all these wonderful things that had happened, he found himself up against evil. He found in the form of Jezebel. He started to fear all the things that had gone before. He began to get anxious. Now you might look back on your life and you can look at moments where the Lord acted in your life and he felt really bright. And then things come to a different moment where there's another test. Come up against something that seems very, very difficult. And he found himself in a cave. And God said to him, what doest thou here, Elijah? I wonder if God's saying that for anyone here tonight. What are you doing? What, what's going on? God, of course, knew what was going on. But he wanted to hear Elijah express what was on his heart. What are you doing? And Elijah says, he says, I'm... He explained how he felt. I've been jealous of Jehovah the God of hosts for the children of Israel for the sake of my covenant. He wanted to serve God. He cared about it. He was passionate about it. And he saw what was going on in idolatry and it, it, it hurt him deeply. And he says, he said, they, and now I'm alone. I don't need to go through this passage. We know what the answer is. The Apostle Paul also draws our attention to the answer. But God took him through a number of steps. He came with the force of the, the, the wind and the, the, the earthquake and the fire. And he'd seen the fire. We can read about that over the page. He'd seen the power of God in fire. We can see it through scripture. God has used earthquakes. <coughs> the earthquake was used to, to open the doors of the prison in Philippi. We think of fire. There's been fire <clears throat> used a number of times in Scripture. God has shown his power in the fire. We think of the wind. When the Lord was on the sea, we think of God being over all of these things in, <clears throat> in the creation. But God spoke to him in a soft, it tells us here, after these things, it says... God was, Jehovah was not in the fire, after the fire, a soft, gentle voice. I wonder whether we, in our minds, look for some big thing. We look for God's intervention in some big way. And maybe God would be working in a quiet way, a way that's sort of imperceptible to us, a way that might surprise us. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Berlin, and someone said, oh, I'm going to need to show you the city of Berlin. You know, I took you to see the Berlin Wall and the mark about where the Berlin Wall was. And I, I thought about it, I reflected on when I was growing up, you know, I used to hear brothers, maybe many of you in the room did the same. 
Pray every week for those behind the Iron Curtain. Pray for those under the heel of communism. I never thought in my life I would see a change. And here, here I was being presented as history. 1989, the, the wall came down. That's a wonderful thing. And I remember reading about uh, some American evangelists who thought after the wall came down, they'd visit Russia and they'd take the gospel to Russia. And they found to their surprise that the gospel had been kept alight in the gulags. Now God is almighty. You think of his power. You think of him working softly, gently, where we can't see. You know, dear, dear fellow believers, don't believe what you read in the newspapers. People counting up how many Christians there are in Britain. It's nonsense. No one in this room knows how many Christians there are in Britain. The Bible tells us, yet the firm foundation of God stands having this seal, that the Lord knows those that are his. No one in here, in this room, no one in this country, no journalist knows how many belong to the Lord. The Lord knows those that are his. And he knows everyone. And he knows everyone by name. And they all belong to him. And none of them will slip through his hand. <clears throat> when the Lord was here, he said, of those that was given me, I have not lost one of them. So I encourage us tonight, if you think you're the only person who sort of feel things <clears throat> very small and you know, surrounded in this sort of wicked, secular world, aggressively secular world, just ask God to open your eyes to see his work. It might surprise you, probably surprise me, to find a brother at work who's praying for, for my wife. I didn't know they're a Christian. It might surprise you, surprise you at his work. Encourage us tonight, because it's easy to get. <coughs> I'm no different to anyone else. Easy to think, wow, it's very dark. And it is. It is. It's a difficult world. But God is working. And I believe God is working subtly. And I'll just challenge us that God perhaps wants to use us as well in his work, softly, quietly, quiet conversation with someone alongside you to affect his work. I know that we long for, <clears throat> we perhaps long for the, you know, the earthquake and the shaking up of things. But let's be gracious, not mark by judgment. God's been patient with us, waited for us, called us to Jesus. Thanks be his name. Amen. Patient. He's not long suffering. He's long suffering. <clears throat> he doesn't desire the death of a sinner. Let's take encouragement from his scripture. Elijah, the great man of God, found himself at a low point in his life. And God didn't leave him there. God drew alongside him and spoke to him suffering and told him he had many others in reserve. Mm. I think that's true tonight. Mm. And I just encourage you that <clears throat> in the days of Eli, it tells us, which is a very difficult day in scripture, it tells us the lamp of God has not yet come out. And it hasn't. And it won't. Mm. In the scripture, in, <clears throat> I read in, in Luke's Gospel, two other people, and these two They'd heard, they'd heard about this report that the Lord was 
was living. They were risen out of death. And it tells us just a bit before where I read it, it says their words appeared in their eyes as an idle tale. And they disbelieved them. Those who were there together. And these two left those who they were there with and they went on this Bible tells us about a seven mile journey to go off to Emmaus. And then on the way, the Lord Jesus drew alongside them. You see, the Lord out of death, he drew alongside Peter, someone who denied him, someone who felt a failure. He drew alongside Mary, and an abject sorrow that the Lord had been taken from her. He drew alongside these believers, those who'd been <coughs> with the Lord, and they were they were desolate. They, their hopes were crushed. And the Lord didn't just reveal Himself, and, and so everything was just put right in a moment. The Lord walked alongside them, and then He asked them, "What, what, what are you talking about? What discourses are these which pass between you as you walk, and are downcast?" Are you downcast? Are you sad? And so, there's two of them. There's Cleopas and one other. The Bible doesn't tell us who the other one was, but, you know, maybe we can put ourselves there. You know, it's a really important thing in the Christian's life to know that Jesus is alive. And we need to live our life as if Jesus is alive. Now, old people go around with the Lord on the cross, and the Lord's work on the cross is what's caused my blessing and our blessing. But the Lord Jesus is alive. He's alive. He's in heaven. That's why they were downcast, because they didn't believe he was alive. The Lord came alongside them, and he, he spoke to them, and, 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 and he says, well, what things? You think about God asking Elijah, now the Lord Jesus is asking these two, what is it? What tell me? Tell me what's what what what's what you're thinking. How gracious the Lord is. Amen. How gracious to ask us how we feel. How we feel. He knows He knows we're but dust. He knows we're we're weak. He drew alongside them. How do you feel? So they they they, they said what happened. And I think I'd encourage you from this scripture is that the Lord started from the Scriptures. The Lord told them that what had been prophesied, it was all there. What we see in the present day is all in the Word. Wars, rumours of wars, fearful pestilences, it's all in the Bible, dear fellow believer. It's all there. What we see today, God is not surprised by any of it. It's all there. The Lord Jesus said to them, he interpreted it in them, all the scriptures and things concerning himself. I encourage those who are younger. You know, sometimes I think the Old Testament might be a sort of difficult book to open. What, what does it all mean? The Lord tells us that he started from Moses and all the prophets. You think of Moses and the offerings and so on. And you think of how the scriptures speak about the Lord in, 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 in Genesis. We, we think of, <coughs> we think of um, Abraham and Isaac giving him his, putting his son on the altar we think of all the ways in which the Bible speaks about Jesus and we think about the prophets and what they had to say and Isaiah and 
and, and the, the, the scriptures that we can find in the line of prophets. And then we think of the Psalms and how they speak of the Lord Jesus and his sufferings. All the things concerning himself. The Bible is, you know, the old brother used to say to me, God's love letter to us. It's all about his son. All about how his affection for us. And all about how he wants us to be in a close relationship with himself. And the Lord explained all those things. And then he walks alongside them. And then he made as if he would go further. But here they were stopping. They were going to the house. And you think of the gentleness of the Lord Jesus. That he went into the house. And he made himself known over the supper table. You see, again, we might think that the Lord should make himself known in some big way. Maybe he just gently revealed himself to us, just in our homes, to give us that assurance in our life that he is alive. Praise be his name. He's alive. Live our lives as if he is alive. Speak to him every day. Trust him. Glorify his name in the way you live your life and the way you speak about him. Bible tells us we've been born with a promise. Glorify now and God in your bodies. That's what you do. And you know, <clears throat> when they heard that, they, they wanted to go back and tell others about it. If you've got something good to say about Jesus and how he's worked, tell others about it. Encourage them with how you can speak about how he's acted in your life. And they went back and they told others and then the Lord revealed himself to them all. And he showed that he's a real living man out of death. He's alive. He's a man. Man to today and tonight in, in the glory. And, and he's soon coming. And we all hear his voice. It's a wonderful blessing to know that. Wonderful reassurance in a changing world. To know his promise is true. He's coming. And you know, you think of those in Thessalonica so long ago. They turned to God from idols. And they weren't just sort of sitting waiting. They were serving God while they were waiting. Now they were waiting his son from the heavens. What are you waiting for? We all, I trust, are waiting for the coming of the Lord. But while we're waiting, there's something for us to do, isn't there? You know, in, in, the, uh, in the beginning of the Acts, when the Lord went on hard, they were gazing up to heaven. Uh, and the angels said, well, why are you gazing into heaven? There was something for them to do, to serve the living and true God. Something for us to do. Something for us to do in the Lord's absence. To serve him now. I encourage us to do that. There's a, there's a wonderful joy in it. There's a wonderful satisfaction in it. And God's pleased with it to serve God while we're waiting for the Lord to come. To serve Him, to honour Him. Now, this scripture was just to encourage us that there were two that were downcast. I may be just speaking to myself tonight, and no one else here. Everyone else is full of joy. But there might be some who are anxious. The Lord drew alongside them. He explained the scriptures. He then revealed himself, and then he was gone. We can't, we don't have the Lord physically here now. He's in heaven. We live by faith today. We have to pray each day, and it isn't each day matter. I don't think that 
you know, we're given a, a great sort of well of faith that will just sort of see us all out. I'm not talking about eternal salvation, but we need help each day. Each day. The Lord told them when, when they taught the disciples to pray, it was daily. Not weekly, not monthly, daily. I encourage you, dear Christian friend, to trust the Lord and commit your life to Him daily. That's the way to be protected from fears and doubts and anxieties. We all have anxieties, but it's a wonderful thing to cast those fears on Him. Which is why I read the scripture in Philippians. tells us <clears throat> rejoice in the Lord always be a challenge rejoice in the Lord always what can I rejoice about the Lord saved me he's redeemed me I'm forgiven he loves me he's promised to be with me all the days he's not going to forget me when he comes I'll hear his voice I was once preaching the gospel and a girl put up her hand. A girl came into the preaching with some friends and I was sort of yeah, part way through, put up her hand. I thought, I don't know if you've ever been in the preaching with someone's put up their hand. She said, you're talking about the coming of Jesus. She said, there's a lot of Simons in the world. How, how do you know he's calling you? Not a good question. I just said, the Lord, I know the Lord, I love the Lord, I know He's coming for me. I know His promise. It's a wonderful thing, a wonderful reassurance about that deep down in your heart. And then here, the Philippi, the context of what we read, there were two that weren't of one mind in a, in a company of believers. That can happen, you know. And the apostle lifted their sights up. And what he said was to rejoice in the Lord. And he said, let your gentleness be known of all men. What's characteristic of you? That doesn't mean to say that you, you don't get angry to hear the Lord's name taken in the wrong way or anything like that. But what's characteristic of you as a believer? What would people say about you if they were talking about you? Let your gentleness be known of all men. And this is a challenging scripture because, you see, the, the Bible is written, read about what God's done for us. But the letters are also about what God asks of us to do as responsible people. And so the Apostle says, Be careful about nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Everything. During the week, I was asked to go to France on business. That was actually on Thursday. And I thought, I've got so many things on. I've got there, I've got a difficult customer, absolutely very difficult. And, oh, then there was a, you know, a strikes in France, and then there was snow. Oh, I'm going to come back on Friday, it'll be a big kerfuffle, and I'm going to go to seven notes on. On Saturday, I know it's like 
leaving a very settled state of mind, is it? I prayed about it. I don't know what I thought the answer would be. I got all the way in Terminal 5, Heathrow, to the gate, and the plane was delayed. And my boss said, we're not going. So I had to get out of the airport. It was a strange thing getting out of the airport. I had to present a passport and then never left the country, but a strange thing, really. And then on the way home, so I went, went did, our, did a little conference call instead. And then on the way home, got my car at Heathrow and drove back up home, back to Birmingham. And on the way, I thought, I told my wife, I'll you know, be home sort of mid-evening, <coughs> looking forward to getting home. And twice, the most way was closed. You know when you get a traffic jam, you get yourself all sort of anxious. Some, perhaps some of you are very patient, but traffic jams. Oh, I want to get home. And then I thought about what I prayed about. That I might be at peace. And I thought, God's put me in a traffic jam. Just to sit there with the road closed for two hours of it going until after midnight. When I got home, I felt peaceful. I think it's important for fellow believers to talk to them simply about the problems of life. Mm-hmm. Take encouragement that the Lord's interested in the detail of our life. And he might act in a way that surprises us. But if we've asked in faith, it's that way he might take us. So he says, <clears throat> the peace of God which surpasses every understanding shall guard your hearts and your thoughts by Christ Jesus. Some of you will no doubt have had this experience in your life, I trust we all have. But I can speak about an experience and maybe I've said this before. Perhaps nearly <coughs> 20 years ago, I was in a company of believers and someone said they're leaving. And I was I was absolutely distressed. I thought they were going, I was distressed about it. The links of fellowship are very close. The things you share together in the Lord are very close things. And I thought about, well, we've got this outreach with children on Thursday night. Well, what are we going to do? And I went away on holiday, and I might as well have stayed at home for the first week. All I could do is just think about nothing else. And then I got down on my knees and prayed about it. I can only tell you it was like a light being switched off. I never thought about it again. The peace of God which surpasses every understanding. A peace which you can't explain from circumstance. You just know you've got it. That God takes your anxiety away. It doesn't change the circumstance. It changes how you feel about it. And then he goes on to say... For the rest, brethren, and he lists these things, and I just encourage us tonight to think about the things that are good, the things that are positive, the things <clears throat> where the Lord is working. And apologies if I've used some simple analogies tonight of experiences. What I wanted to say, not about myself, but about the greatness of God's work that I see and I can see in others' lives, and just experiencing a small small way of my own. Things that are good. What have you got to say that's good? 
None of the pandemic came out. We couldn't get into our meeting room. And so we decided to, to, to put a thing outside, to put Bibles in it. We put it out, and for the first, put some Bibles in. I came back the next Lord's Day. I looked at it, and they'd all gone. And I'm ashamed to say that I walked down the road to look in a skip to see if someone had taken them out and thrown them in a skip. And you know, since then, dozens, probably hundreds of Bibles have gone. A wonderful thing. I don't know where they've gone. I don't know what someone's done with them, but they've gone and they continue to go. Last week was a test. Matthew went up to the room, do something. Two Bibles have gone. Wonderful thing. Then someone stole a cup. It's a wonderful thing to know. Someone took the Bibles. Not worry about the car. Think about the things that are good. Think about the Lord's work. God knows what we need. He knows all about those circumstances. But pray. To pray. We pray locally that there might be an answer. We might not see it because we might think it's something about ourselves. But that there might be an answer. There might be someone who cursed your bread upon the water. That there might be an answer. Think about the things that are good. Occupy your conversation with the things that are good of noble, just, pure, amiable, of good report. Those are things that will encourage other believers and other people will be drawn to you if you talk about such things. And so I just wanted to finish with just a few words just about Colossians. You see, when we think about Colossians, we think about the wonderful part of the beginning of Colossians, don't we? We think about that we've been delivered from the authority of darkness and translated into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Wonderful expressions about the person of Jesus and His glory and, and His power and all that God has given Him. That's wonderful. The first chapter of Colossians, I encourage you to read it. You think, oh my, my trust in the Saviour, what a great, wonderful person He is. The Apostle speaks in such a, uh, such a full way about it. And then he had something to say to the Colossians. You see, the Colossians, probably a company of Jews and people that had been pagans, idol worshippers, and they were set together. And that was probably quite difficult. People with different opinions, different backgrounds, they were set together. And then he just says these few words. He tells them various things put to death, stop doing certain things, put off, put on, something for you to do as a believer. And then he says to this company, he says, put on as the elect of God, holy and beloved. And he gives a list of things. And the one thing that I just wanted to draw attention to in these last few moments is, and forgiving one another, forbearing one another. He doesn't say uh, tolerate each other. He says forbear. Behind that is love. And he says forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. You know, he's in a company of believers, people can be irritated and probably irritate others. Forgiving one another. You think of the depths of what the Lord's forgiven us. Mm-hmm. You think of Matthew 18, where he speaks of a man that was forgiven 10,000 talents. One, one talent or 6,000 days of activity, work. 10,000 talents was an enormous amount of money. You couldn't conceive of how much it was. How much we've been forgiven. Peter said, You know, Lord, should I, my brother sinned against me, should I forgive him? Seven times. 
But God, you would have thought three times was generous. He said seven times. He thought that was what bounds grace. I remember we were talking to some children. We said, how many times should you forgive someone? A little boy puts his hand up and says, 490 times. That was good that he remembered the scripture. God is asking us not to count up. Not to count up how many times our brother might have offended us. He's not asking us to keep a record. And he's asking us to forgive. And if we find it difficult, I think about Corrie Tamboon, and some of you have no doubt read her book. In 1972, I think she was speaking, and she was reflecting back. She was someone who was a believer, and during the Second World War, she and her sister had Jews in her house, and she was arrested by the Nazis and ended up in a concentration camp, and was treated accordingly, and her sister died there. In 1947, she was in Munich, and back in Germany, she's Dutch, she was in Germany, and she was in a, in a place, and she was speaking about forgiveness for some people. And afterwards, uh, a man came up to her, and he said, you know, he said, look, I know that God's forgiven me, but I want you to forgive me. Put his hand out. And she looked at the man, and he was one of the guards in the concentration camp. And she remembered the abuse and the, the pain, the, the, the pain of her sister's death. And she said, I couldn't, I, I just couldn't raise my hand, she said. And so she asked the Lord to help her. And she shook his hand. And she said, I've never felt the love of God like it. Someone could forgive someone for such terrible sin. What are we asked to do? Let's forgive one another. Let's forbear one another. Not tolerate each other. Let's love each other as the Lord has loved us. You know, in the scripture, the Lord said it's a way that people would know we were disciples of His, that we love each other. He didn't say how you dress or what you say. He says you love one another. Oh, that will stand you out from the rest of the world. Think about the Apostle Paul. You think of Saul. You think of him coming and Ananias being after greeting. The brother in my thing used to say, the main thing I come from used to say about Ananias, his name was A, so he'd been on top of all this when Paul came to Damascus. You think of him knowing, he'd known no doubt about Stephen. And you think of him being asked to forgive such a man. And so he was quite anxious about it. And he did the right thing, didn't he? He prayed about it. He spoke to the Lord. And the Lord gave him the power to put both arms over him and embrace him. And say, Saul, brother. And that is the heart of why the Apostle Paul wrote this in Colossians and wrote it in Ephesians. Because he'd been forgiven... He knew what liberating power there was from being forgiven from the Lord and from other believers. He knew the power, what it meant to be part of the Lord's church, to find that people would, the people we pursued would risk their own life to lower over the wall in a basket. He knew that. And so he encouraged them. Even as the Christ has forgiven you, so also do you. I encourage us today. It's easy in companies of Christians to get very... 
fretful about things and anxious about what people might say and do and be irritated and all that sort of thing. We're being put together for a purpose. The Lord would encourage us to forbear one another, forgive one another, and <clears throat> to all these add love. The Lord loves us. He's put us in his church. He's coming for us. So I finish with just a little I finish. I'm sorry, it's been so long. I finish with this little verse, which some of you have a tear off calendar, no doubt. And um, <clears throat> our calendar. At the beginning of the year, there was a there was a uh, there was a, a little poem. And I first found this poem some years ago. I came across it by Annie Johnson Flint, written a hundred years ago. And I might read it all out. There's two verses I would like to read out. She says, I don't look around me, then fears assail me, so wild the tumult of earth's restless seas, so dark the world, so filled with one evil, so vain the hope of comfort or of ease. I look up into the face of Jesus, for there my heart can rest, my fears are still, and there is joy and love and light for darkness and perfect peace and every hope fulfilled. Someone who suffered from crippling arthritis, what she wrote is her own experience. May we look up. Look up tonight. If you're discouraged, I trust the Lord will lift you up. He loves you. He's given his life for you. He wants you to be here for him, to, to serve him, to be a witness for him in the dark world, and to rejoice in him, and to be happy like those Christians on the way to Emmaus who went back and they rejoiced to know that he was alive. And if you disponder, I think God will be angry with you. Deeply sympathetic with you. Draw alongside, speak to you gently, mm-hmm. and lift you up to be able to praise his name. Mm-hmm. May you do so for his name's sake. Amen. 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 Amen.